0: Palm Sunday. This is the beginning of the week of Jesus' passion and uh, I have but just a few short moments to be teaching and preaching this morning and I want to set the stage a little bit because I would say in my years of ministry I have probably shared some 25 Palm Sunday messages and so many of those messages in years past I have focused on Jesus Christ Declaring his Messiahship on this particular day. For it is on this day that is the fulfillment of Daniel's prophecy out of Daniel chapter 9. It's one of the most accurate prophecies because there is a legitimate time frame associated with it. It equates out to 173,880 days. And on the day, the 173,880th day, Jesus orchestrated the events of that day and mounted a, the foal of a donkey that had not been ridden before and made his descent into the city of Jerusalem, into the temple courts area, where the people declared, as Psalm 118 says, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the Son of David, the King of Israel. And they declared his kingship. And so I focused on that for the inerrancy of the prophetic, of Jesus Christ being Messiah. And as I began preparation really a number of weeks ago, the Spirit of God began to stir me. And there's an interesting account because in the four gospel accounts, the earliest gospel account is the Gospel of Mark. It's actually the easy speed read because there's... Only 16 chapters, comparatively speaking, to some of the other Gospels that are considerably longer. And Mark, it's almost as if when you begin to read Mark, you have to take breaths in between your reading because he's moving at this pace. But there's some things that I think are very interesting in his account. And one of those things I want to draw our attention to today because I think it sheds light on how a group of people could go from... One particular day on the 10th day of the month of Nisan, declaring this man, Jesus, to be the Son of God, Messiah, shepherd and king to just a few short days from shouting, Hosanna, blessed is the Son of David, to shouting, crucify him. We will not have this man as our king. How does that happen? How does that happen? I ask you this question and think of this as really the theme or the title of today's message. When expectations are unmet, in your life, how do you respond when what you are expecting, what you are believing, what you are hoping, and all your eggs are in that basket, and when you get in answer, that is what you were not expecting. What is our natural response? Disappointment, anger, frustration. There's a whole spectrum. Depression, grief, sorrow, all kinds of things. And so today we're a look. I mean, imagine being overlooked for that promotion or someone else simply got the job or when God didn't answer your prayers or when heaven just keeps being silent or what you've been asking for does not come to pass, but rather something entirely different. When reports come back from doctors with information that is devastating Maybe you've prayed for someone to be healed, and then you've watched them be buried. Maybe it's a relationship, and out of your control, it comes to an end. Maybe it's a marriage. could be a variety of different things. When children that we've raised in the fear and admonition of the Lord, and they're not living we say things this is not the life that i expected these these when 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 prodigals are far when parents are away from christ and children are like why what is wrong with my parents god why god why god why and you can fill in the sentence on those things that have brought disappointment because we've all faced the expectations that we have not being met the simplicity of spouses Right? I mean, how many of us, when we got married, you know, all the ladies thought, well, the man's going to take the trash out. Right? Only to find that he doesn't. Or he certainly is going to fold his own laundry. (laughs) I might be revealing some things on my own home front. (laughs) Isn't that what kids are for? Even that can be a letdown. Oh, God, why? I believe that oftentimes there's resentment, feelings of anger, bitterness. Over time, people simply turning away, becoming weary and well-doing and simply stopping. You know, imagine if we're supposed to be in a continual state of growth as a follower of Christ... When we stop walking, we're actually backsliding. And we may not even be aware of it. Or the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desire for other things crowd in and the word of God gets choked out. Those thorns and thistles, oftentimes, it's when God hasn't met our expectations. Right? Right? We don't want to admit it in a size crowd like this that sometimes God doesn't meet my expectations. And we realize the problem in the equation is my expectations, not my God, right? But in the heat of the moment, we don't always feel that way. And I believe that the story that unfolds for the Jews that were following Jesus is absolutely profound in this triumphal entry message let's set the stage for a moment to try and give a little bit of the heartbeat of the Jews for the Romans you know not getting what one expects the Jews have been Waiting for the promised Messiah. The one prophet, like Moses, who would lead the people. They've been waiting for the summation of all things for, oh, at this point, a thousand years. Many generations. This is their dream. Now then... It's interesting because in Genesis chapter 49, Jacob is blessing his 12 children and his 12 children as he comes to Judah, Judah is told there are kings in his loin and there would be one whom would rule the people and the scepter would not be removed from the tribe of Judah until Shiloh comes. Shiloh is another term. The rabbis and the Talmud recognized as Messiah. The scepter of rule would not leave Judah until Messiah the prince, or until Messiah, Shiloh, appears. Shiloh appears. And so they're waiting, and something amazing transpires, and the scepter is removed. Before they acknowledge Messiah has come, you see, the history of Israel, and I—it's I, tough for me to give the history of Israel in about six minutes, but I'm going to do my best. Uh, God established the nation, and then eventually there was a monarchy. So we went from a theocracy to a monarchy. The first king was Saul, a Benjamite. He was an untimely king. He was man's king, and he behaved like a man. So no king, the time of the judges, man's king, the time of Saul, then God's king, David. David is the successor of Saul, and then David's son Solomon takes the throne, and Solomon starts off pretty good, but he doesn't finish very well. Solomon's son, Rehoboam, he is actually kind of terrible, and under his reign, the nation is divided into two, the northern 10 tribes known as the house of Israel or the nation Israel, and then the two tribes in the south, Judah and Benjamin, become the house of Judah. And there's about 40 kings between the two, 20 in the north and 19 in the south, and Basically, none of the kings were good, except there were maybe six kings in the south that were good, maybe eight, it's arguable, nonetheless. That's like 20%. It's not good. And in 605, well, in 722 BC, the Assyrian army came in and completely brought into subjection and the obliteration of the northern tribes. And they are known to this day as the 10 Lost tribes of Israel. Now they're not lost. Can I get an amen? God knows exactly where they they are. And there were some that were good that came to the south, and there were some in the south that weren't good and went to the north. And so there were people, even in the time of Jesus, when Mary and Joseph brought Jesus to be dedicated in the temple. Anna comes after Simeon, and Anna is of the tribe of Asher. So we know that she migrated down, and the book of Chronicles tells us these things. So nonetheless. 722 B.C., the north is eliminated. 605 B.C., some 117 years later, some 120 years later, the southern tribes are taken into captivity under the Babylonian reign of Nebuchadnezzar. Nebu- Nabopolassar, his dad, in the Babylonian kingdom, had a son named Nebuchadnezzar, and Nebuchadnezzar was a military genius. He went down to the Battle of Carchemish, wins the Battle of Carchemish, completely obliterates The remainder of the Assyrians and takes Egypt if you will and on his way back he ransacks Israel and at that point takes hostages of which Daniel was one of them and 70 years captivity began and then after the 70 years of captivity the Persians come in under Cyrus the Great and Daniel. Daniel, this amazing man of God, is prime minister ultimately in the Babylonian kingdom because of some of the amazing things God does. And then he becomes the prime minister in the Persian kingdom as well. God's magnificent order of things. But the next empire is the Grecian Empire under Alexander the Great. And all the while, Israel is under military rule, but while they're under that military rule, which they didn't care for, they're still able to exercise their religious belief without any difficulty. Alexander the Great dies. He has four generals, and the empire is divided up, and Israel is like a buffer state in between the north, which is Seleucius, Empire and to the south, Ptolemy, his empire. Ptolemy, he allows them to have their religious practices continue. The Seleucids don't. Over time, the Seleucids took over and put tremendous pressure and removing all religious practice, removing all of the mosaic law of food, ultimately under. Antiochus Epiphanes fourth. a pig is sacrificed in the temple on the altar known as the abomination that causes desolation. That began the Maccabean revolt. And If you want to have a little bit of history, read 1 Maccabees and 2 Maccabees, you'll understand uh, uh, Matt, Mattathias and his four sons in the rebellion and they took back and rededicated the temple. In 166 B.C., to this day, the Jews celebrate Hanukkah. That is the the winter dedication of the temple. It's an amazing story, and it's the history. But understand that the Jews, this entire time, they're in an oppressed state, and they're waiting for their king. They're waiting. Generation after generation after generation, he's coming, he's coming, he's coming. How many of you know what I'm talking about? Because we're saying, he's coming, he's coming, he's coming. And we're waiting for Jesus to return. And so to a measure, we might even have a little bit of taste how they felt. From 116 BC, when the Seleucids ceased to exist, Israel for a short period of time experiences an independent state where they are not under anyone's reign. But in 63 BC, the Roman Empire came in and took Jerusalem and put them under an oppression that they had not experienced before. And here we are now, 30 AD, and here comes the king riding on a donkey. And the crowd that has gathered, I mean, it is impressive. If you read the account of the four Gospels, while Jesus is making his way through Jericho, Bartimaeus, he hears the crowd moving. And the crowd going by, he says, what's going on? And they say, well, it's Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus of Nazareth, son of David, have mercy on me. And they say, Shh, stop, stop, stop. Don't mess with the master. He yells louder, Jesus. Son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stops and says, bring him to me. What would you have me do for you? He says, I want to see. I want to see. And Jesus says, see. And his eyes were opened. And this man he probably said, Thanks, man. See you later. No. He was blind. And now he sees. Jews know. There's only one that opens eyes, and that's God. Hosanna! Son of David! Messiah! And the crowd would have just been in a fervor at this point. And he's making his way. He sends off some disciples to a city. Off to the side says, you'll find a donkey and it's full. It's never been ridden. Untie it. They say, well, he says, "If, if someone asks you, he says, tell them the Lord has need of it. And they'll let you go. And so off go the disciples. They find it just as Jesus said. And some folks came out and said, why are you untying the donkey? And they said, I mean, imagine that. You're stealing a donkey (laughs) to them. You're just following, you're obedient, but to them, it's like you're taking their donkey. Well, the Lord has need of it. Okay, go. And they bring, and it's at that point, the people began to lay their cloaks in the road and this is reminiscent about when Jehu, back in Kings, was being coronated, the king, and the people cut branches and put their cloaks, and here comes the king. Jehu was declared king, now they're declaring Jesus as king, Messiah. He's come. No more oppression, no more opposition, no more difficulty. Hey, the scepter can be given back to Judah. Incidentally, Josephus records for us when the scepter was removed in 6 or 7 A.D. It's recorded that the Sanhedrin, recognizing that the scepter had been removed and Messiah had not come, or they didn't know that he had come, didn't understand that he had been born in a manger, they wept bitterly. They put on sackcloth and heaped ashes on their head, and they mourned because their ability to adjudicate capital punishment and the death penalty had been taken from them. And their conclusion, talk about expectation not being met, their conclusion was not that Several years earlier when there was an entourage that came from Persia and a bunch of magi and a whole entourage came in that turned the city upside down and said, we're looking for the king of the Jews. They didn't remember that. What they concluded was God failed. God's promise failed. And so they questioned God. And their trust and their willingness to Follow and obey was now completely hampered. Expectation not met. Now, here we are, thirty years later, and they're Hosanna! The King, he's here. Some of those same people were likely there. They saw Barnabas' eyes open. They've seen the miracles. They've heard the stories, and now they're excited because he's making his way into the city. And he's going into the temple. Let me read the account. It's 11 verses. It'll be on the screen behind us. Follow along with me. It says, Now when when they drew near to Jerusalem, to Bethphage and Bethany, at the Mount of Olives, he sent two of the disciples and said to them, Go into the village opposite you, and as soon as you have entered it, you will find a colt tied, on which no one has sat. Loose it and bring it to me. And if anyone says to you, why are you doing this? Say, the Lord has need of it. And immediately he will send it here. So they went their way and found the colt tied by the door outside the street, or on the street, and they loosed it. But some of those who stood there said to them, why are you, what are you doing, loosing the colt? And they spoke to them just as Jesus had commanded. So they let him go. Then they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their clothes on it, and he sat on it. And many spread their clothes on the road, and others cut down leafy branches from the trees and spread them on the road. Then those who went before and those who followed, crying out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the kingdom of our father, David, that comes in the name of the Lord, Hosanna in the highest. And the other gospel account would even say they declared king of the Jews, King." This is certainly quoting Psalm 118 and the declaration is Messiah the Prince, the King has come. Verse 11 tells us, And Jesus went into Jerusalem and into the temple, and so when he had looked around at all things, as the hour was already late, he went out to Bethany with the (laughs) twelve. Now, If you read Matthew's account and you read Luke's account, they just go sequentially into the next event that was significant, which is Jesus went into the temple and drove out those money changers and turned the tables over, and there was was quite a little stir. But Mark tells us that wasn't that day. That's the next day. When he got in there, he looked around. And it was late let's go now I pause here for a moment because this is profound to me they have been waiting for their king for literally most recent 100 years they've been waiting now a thousand years as a nation Their expectation, the hype, everything, Bartimaeus' eyes, I mean the king is coming, this triumphal entry, there's a crowd, they're declaring king. The Pharisees have showed up and said to Jesus, you got to stop your people. And he says, not today, for if today the people are silent, the very rocks will cry out. For it was on this day that he would be declared Messiah Prince, according to the prophet Daniel in Daniel chapter 9 and the prophecy that was there he said if you had known this thy day but because you've missed it blindness in part is coming upon you and Jesus wept for Jerusalem this they're waiting and I, Jesus comes in pomp and circumstances behind him noise a stir he doesn't go to the roman guard and start a rebellion he doesn't he, he doesn't even give a stirring speech. He does nothing. Expectations not met. I, I have a sneaky suspicion the people were profoundly frustrated. Disappointed. So much so that in very short order, they went from saying, King, Messiah, Hallelujah, to crucify this cat. We will not have him as our king. Complete abandonment. Leaving. What about you and me? What about when God doesn't meet our expectations? Anger, resentment, rebellion, backsliding, leaving the norms of the faith, faith, dissatisfied, distracted, pursuit of other things, consumed with life, stop praying, stop reading, stop worshiping. Have you seen it? Have you, have you been in that road? Have you been there before? Were you just like, ah, I'm kind of like done. It's like Peter, well, we thought, but I'm going fishing. We thought he was the one, but I'm going fishing. What I would like to do is give three aspects of the character and the nature of God for you and me to remember when he doesn't meet our expectations number one God is in control number two God is at work and number three God is always present okay? those three God is in control God is at work and God is always present we cannot forget these things I'm going I'm to break these down quickly for you. God is in control. Those circumstances may seem out of control. The events of the week of Jesus' passion, oftentimes we look at these things as these things happened to him, and they were terrible, and it was just awful. And yes, they were terrible, and yes, they were awful, but they didn't just happen to him. In fact, this very week, he orchestrated all of the events He's in control. God is sovereign. He's in control. Look, if we remember that, church, when things go amok, when things appear to be out of control, when my life and the circumstances around me are nothing less than a tornado, and what I had hoped and expected for has not occurred and I'm bewildered and wondering forget not that God is in control he orchestrated the events the details I mean he told the brothers you're gonna go into a town and you're gonna find a colt tied by the front door and some fellows are gonna come out they're gonna ask you about it." I mean he knows what's going on he knows the details in another event later in the week of passion He says to the fellows to go prepare for the Passover. He says, here's what's going to happen. You're going to go into the city, and you're going to find a man carrying a pitcher of water. Follow him. Ask him. He'll lead you into the house, and he'll show you the room where we're to have our Passover. You have to focus for a moment. In Israel, men don't carry pitchers of water. That would be, like, super unusual And Jesus, foreknowledge, because the Spirit of God must have revealed this to him, we don't have the detail how he got his S-mail, and he knew what was going on, but he knew what was going on. He says, you'll find it. He's in charge. He's in control. We need not fear. We need not worry. It's amazing that he claimed his kingship, and sometimes we miss that he did this, certainly riding on the colt because we're told about Zechariah's prophecy in the ninth chapter. But in another area, in another space, he says later, he says, you will all betray me tonight. You'll be scattered. He says, for it is written, strike the shepherd and the sheep will scatter. He lays claim to being the shepherd king of Israel. He gets it. And I think that's fascinating. He knows the detail that very night, what was to happen. Of course, you know Peter, right? You and I are like Peter. Well, they'll all betray you, but not me. I'm ready to go to the death. And Jesus says, like he would say probably to you and me, yeah, not denial just once, brother, but for you probably three times, right? I mean, it's... I feel it because sometimes I'm that way, that little buzzer that's telling me my time is up. <laughs> but the good news is, <laughs> Matt told me they turned that off. He saw I was going long. He's like, turn the buzzer back on. <laughs> the good news is the guys in the sound booth said I had six more minutes. <laughs> I don't know if that's true. That's not true. I've already used them. Okay. Let me, let me, let me pound this out. <laughs> Jesus knew my new details. Okay, number two, God is at work. He healed the eyes of Bartimaeus. He's working. Even though it doesn't seem like he's doing something, all of a sudden, here's a, a person who has a need, and he meets the need. Because there was a request, and he met the need. He says the rocks will cry out. He's working, though they couldn't see what the work was. The work was he was fulfilling the prophecy. He knew the timeline he had the detail and so he's working and he came and he fulfilled to the T I love John chapter 5 and verse 17 because Jesus says to the people he says my father is working and he's been working up till now I too am working he tells us that the father is at work he's working your father your gracious Heavenly Father he's working right now he never sleeps he never slumbers and Jesus reminds us, He says, I too am working. And Jesus is at work. He says, I go to prepare a place for you. It's working. And finally, God is always present, though He may not be seen. Jesus to the Romans was probably on that day largely unnoticed, yet He was present. He, th- he bore no threat to those that were in charge. He didn't come with weapons. He didn't come really with an army to fight. He is no threat to the Romans, so he is largely unnoticed in the scheme of things. And yet he is fully present. He's mostly unseen and yet present. Unseen amidst the crowd. He may be unseen in our midst, but he is definitively here. He said, Where two or three are gathered in my name, there. I am. Praise God. He might be presently quiet, but he is present. In your life and in your circumstances, heaven might seem quiet. Heaven might seem closed. Door closed, windows closed. But it does not, it does not indicate that he is not here. He said, lo, I am with you. Lo, I am with you, even unto the end of the age. He said, I will not leave you nor forsake you. Hallelujah. He is present. So, Pastor Matt, come. Let me conclude with this and give opportunity. When God doesn't meet our expectations, let us trust him and remain steadfast in faith and in hope God is in control. Romans 8.28 says, All things are working together for the good. God is good. Every good and perfect gift flows from the Father of lights. God is at work. My Father has been working, and I too am working. Let's remember this. And God is always present. I love John 14, verses 16 through 18. And I will pray the Father, and He will give you another Helper that he may abide with you forever. God the Spirit, if your faith is in Jesus Christ today, you have received the redemptive work of Christ from the cross where he shed his blood and died a substitutionary death. If you are trusting in Jesus, the Spirit of God has taken up residence in you and he will be with you forever. Forever. We are not alone, hallelujah. The spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him for he dwells with you and he will be in you, Jesus said to his disciples. And then he said, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come again. I will come again. Jesus is coming. Let us remember when God doesn't meet our expectations, these three things, God, 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 he is at work. He is present, and He is, without a doubt, in control. Amen? And then the Lord bless you and keep you, and let's keep Jesus right in the forefront of our sights. Amen? Amen.